like I've had another narcotic investigator call me and he's like, Hey, like, uh, I think I got PC for a house is, is, is an apartment. Uh, and they owe money to the landlord. They owe thousands of dollars of money to the landlord. You think oh, that's PC? I'm like, that's, that's a civil matter, dude. Like, that's not criminal. Like, what are you writing in a search warrant to get in there and do, and do what? What yeah, are you looking crazy. for? Like the money they owe them and give it to them? No. Um, I think that especially now training is the biggest thing. Um, but a part of that training, kind of like I, I talked about that understanding of legal authority, that only comes from training. Hey guys, if you missed out on the last conference in Nashville, Tennessee, you don't want to miss out on the next one. It's April 28th through May 3rd, Orlando, Florida, the Gaylord Palms Resort and Convention Center. You made a mistake missing the last one. You don't want that to happen again on this one. Five days of some of the best training you're ever going to experience packed into one event. We have an early bird special right now, $50 off. Use 24 early bird on our website, streetcop.com. Look for the conference. Click the link. Register today. If you want to get significantly better at this profession in five days, don't dare miss out on the 2024 Street Cop Conference. Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Street Cop Training Podcast. I'm your host, founder and CEO of Street Cop Training. My name is Dennis Benino, and we are lucky enough to have one of our instructors in studio with us today. He comes from not too far, but we can't talk about where. <laughs> and uh, he's here to talk about narcotic investigations, cool shit that he teaches, but none other than John Krewer. What's up, guys? Krewer, tell us about you. Where'd you grow up? Don't tell us where you work. Yep. Tell us what you do now. So I, I actually grew up in, uh, in Monmouth County, in Jersey, not, not that far from here. Uh, I wanted to become a uh, city cop. I actually graduated high school in 07. Got hired by a major uh, city police department, somewhat close by, not saying where, <laughs> in 08. So I literally, I just turned 20, came on the job. I couldn't even legally drink, couldn't even legally buy a gun, but I had a badge and gun patrolling the streets. Um, so I was in uh, one of the areas of my patrol is one of the worst spots in the city, very high in homicides, uh, violent crime. I was there, did a uniform for, got out of the academy in 09, did uniform for about three years, and I got moved over to, uh, it's like a tactical unit, like uh, basically going after illegal guns. Uh, you don't answer radio calls. So I, I did that for, uh, for about two and a half years. Uh, I led, led the uh, district recent, so call it, uh, in gun arrest for, uh, for months in a row. I was actually working solo the majority of the time. I actually got in my nickname in, uh, in the street out there as a fathead for obvious reasons. So, um, but um, did that for a little bit, then ended up, um, got involved in a, in a fatal shooting shortly after that, got transferred. Um, and I'm getting transferred to basically for municipality of working is basically like the gang unit ended up copying a uh indictment that came out of uh, uh new york city um one of my buddies was doing it also on another gang in in our city copied an indictment out of new york city um based in july 2014 manhattan district attorney's office released an indictment of over 100 harlem gang members it was all focused on uh this basketball player her nickname was uh chicken i believe uh, she was uh, going to go D1 in, in basketball, end up getting killed in a bystander in a shooting. Wow. Um, Manhattan District Attorney's Office focused on three things. They focused on prison recording, social media, 
confidential informants, and a building a case and actually locked up over 100 Harlem gang members. So I focused on that, did that on a group in, uh, in my city. There was about 40 members of, of that group, um, ended up blocking up about 28 of them. And, uh, All your job. Yeah, well, I, I got help. I got help from uh, a few guys in, uh, in our narcotic unit at the time a local narcotic unit. They're now in the federal task force as I'm in the same federal task force as they are. So since November of 2015, I've been assigned to a uh, narcotic violent gang federal task force in, in, the, in the city. And <clears throat> really going there completely changed my mind on, on everything. I mean, I've been there almost coming up on eight years I've been there. So it's been, it's been crazy seeing how everything the feds do it to not just how you're my own municipality does it, but also dealing with task force officers in, in other towns and other states all, all over the country. Um, I'm a big believer in that, like every investigator and every investigation that one I'm a part of or an investigator I meet, I take a piece of, oh, I like that. Oh, I like that. I like that. And, and, and I'm, you know, being a narcotic investigator isn't like, this is just who you are. You always adapt and overcome. Everything's changing. So, there for eight years now, and it changed my opinion on really how the job is done, how the policing in general is done. Uh, and that's one of the reasons that I ended up doing the, the class, Master Narcotic Investigations, because I've done jobs with helping out guys locally, whether that be in the city or outside the city. And they're big into doing like the two buys and they hit a house, two buys hit a house, and not going into the, into the bigger picture um, and seeing what it's really talking about like thinking like a fed, right? Like a lot of the feds that we deal with day in and day out on the job and, you know, local cops, whether it's state troopers or uh, municipalities listening, like you guys work with the feds and you know that a lot of people are scared of the feds. If they're, they're scared of the feds. They're scared of the, the indictment coming down and doing a lot of time. But besides that, when you get hit by the feds, they know everything. Everyone says that, you're fucked. You get hit by the feds, you're fucked. They know everything. But if you think about it, a lot of the feds are just college kids with, with a badge and a gun. They, they, they don't have the street experience that, that we do. I mean, we, we've been in uniform, running and gunning the street, right? Uh, getting those community relations and becoming uh, street cop smart, right? But think with these feds, they understand their legal authority compared to uh, a lot of cops who just get two buys and hit and re not realizing that what you can actually do with probable cause. You don't have to arrest. You don't have to arrest right away. You could build into a long investigation. You could turn into vehicle trackers. Um, some stuff I talk about in my classes. Vehicle trackers, the pen trap and trace with cell site, phone pings, really going into building the investigation. And when you're building an investigation, you're really answering a question. Like every search warrant you do from the PC you have, whether unknown conspirators that you don't, you don't know about, you're going to identify, you order drugs, um, you start tracking the phone, you can see who they're calling, when they're calling them after your informant or your under, undercover calls. You're really building a much bigger case. So I talk about that in my class and also really the strategic planning of, of, of the investigation. So um, that's what I've been doing now. I've been doing that for the past eight years. And uh, I no longer live in Jersey. Hopefully, you know, one day when I retire, I want to move home. I'm, I'm going to move back. I miss, miss the Jersey Shore. Um, but yeah, so 
I really built the class to get cops to understand, to get cops to understand what they can truly do with it, with their, with their legal authority and really change in their strategic planning of, of investment. So we're talking about a misconception of some sense that maybe they haven't been educated enough of what a complete investigation looks like. Correct. I mean, think about it. Like we, we've talked about, I know you and I have talked about it and we've talked about it in other classes and in groups. It's like, what does the academy teach you? Nothing, right? The academy teaches you, and this is what everyone says, and especially where I'm from, is um, academy teaches the CYA, cover, not cover your ass, cover the municipalities, right? Because what's going to happen is you do somebody on the street, and they're like, we never taught him that. He did it on, on his own. But then I'm sure this will hit home with, with a lot of people is, let's say you get transferred to narcotic. What training do you actually get? Especially in, 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 in the suburbs, what training do you get? Right, so you go to the academy, you get on the street. Where do you, how do you learn to be a cop on the street? And you go into narcotics. That's a dangerous place to learn how to be a cop, oh, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's no reset on. It's like, imagine like you're going to be a coal miner. Well, we're going to learn about how to go into the fucking mine and figure it out. Yeah, yeah. What happens if I hit this stone? Well, the whole thing's going to collapse and murder you. Yeah, you're going to be, gonna be crushed. Yep. And that's how we teach cops how to do police work. It's wild, yeah, right? It's crazy. Well, it's how we used to. Yeah. Until Somebody came along and started fixing some of that shit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Some company, right? <laughs> that had some ideas. Just because training is the core principle behind everybody's success. And believe me, dude, it's not just this profession. I think mm-hmm. about it a lot. You know, I went to, when I started working in real estate, my friend who's been on the podcast before, he was a young guy running a real estate team. We had no training. I literally, same thing, we're thrown to the, like, just go figure it out. Yeah. And... Even for him, there were things that I re- that I was doing that I didn't know I couldn't do or could do. I didn't have enough knowledge to know how to work w- the work that I was trying to do. So I would just go out. I would misinform people, drop deals, lose deals. Mm-hmm. It would have been a lot smarter, and he knows this now, to spend and invest up front in those you believe are going to be worthy enough to invest in. So if I'm sending somebody to do a job, I'm going to let them know a little bit about the job before they go and do it and try to set them up to have as much success as possible. Yeah. You're right. You transfer to, I mean, it's the same thing with supervisor training. Oh, absolutely. You, you're, you're a sergeant. What, what training do I go to? Some carte blanche, three-day BS school that when you understand what, it's, what it means to be a supervisor, it really is more of a mindset than it is of actual practical actions that you can take as a boss. Yeah. But same thing, dude. Where, what narcotics school are people going to when they go to narcotics? I know that some of them exist, but how good are they? Yeah, like, some do exist. For example, like Top Gun does exist in almost every state, but it's hard to get into Top Gun. There's only, there's only so many spots. Well, in, narcotics in, investigators too, yeah, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, there's so many spots in, in Top Gun. Like you talk about training, talk about supervisors. I mean, recently I got involved in a, uh, there was a pursuit, the homicide suspect, and I'm going outside our jurisdiction into another jurisdiction, ended up, uh, ended up uh, turning to, they ended up crashing. They bailed out. So talking about like training for supervisors, one of the supervisors come from my, my municipality is like, uh, you need to do a search warrant on this right here, right now. I was like, I'm going to do a search warrant outside my jurisdiction right here, right now. Like, what are you talking about? I, I can't. I can't. Need to, I need to get the detective from the municipality we're in, the jurisdiction we're in, to get involved in the investigation. No, you don't. I'm, I'm, I was just like dumbfounded. Like, who, how am I not in this jurisdiction? Right? There's ways to do it. But 
like you don't you don't understand you know um even like i've had another narcotic investigator call me and he's like hey like uh i think i got pc for a house is 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 an apartment uh and they owe money to the landlord they owe thousands of dollars of money to the landlord you think that's pc i'm like that's that's a civil matter dude like that's not criminal like what are you writing in a search warrant to get in there and do and do what? What yeah, are you looking crazy. for? Like the money they owe them and give it to them? No. Um, I think that especially now training is the biggest thing. Um, but a part of that training, kind of like I, I talked about, that understanding your legal authority, that only comes from training. That only comes from you understanding your job at all. You know, like, and also the ide- ideology is, uh, be honest, like I don't want to lock up many people. I don't. And people, people may listen and be like, what? That's crazy. But like, I want to flip everybody. I want to get out there and flip everybody. Everyone flips. And the thing is, is that, you know, let's say if they, if they work off their case, right, and become a cooperating witness, cooperating defendant or, or informant, they work off their case, they're not going to be able to go back to where they're from ever again. Because if, if you're cooperating, like you're going to be audio and video recorded. So your voice, if that guy decides to fight in a court, your voice is going to be on a recording, buying federal buying Fetty, Coke, whatever, meth, whatever it is, a gun, everyone knows you're a rat. It's worse than going to prison. You're never coming back to where you live ever again. Because, I mean, for decades, you come back, you're going to get killed. That's it. So it's, it's the whole, I mean, I love, the, it, to me, it's a game. The whole, the whole narcotics investigation, it's a game. And I think I've had people that I've uh, trained and recently that one of them was like, hey, I go home and I think about the job. And I said, like, you have to understand it's a game. That's it. You know, I, I understand, like, I believe once I looked at it, it's a game and that's it. I became very successful at it. Because at a game, you don't take things personal. So you can't take things personal in our field. I know many people do. They take it home, right? They become stressed out. But once you understand it's a game and that you're a piece of the game, especially when you're talking about the drug investigations and, and gang investigations, you don't take things personal. And once you start not taking things personal, you get the, there's no fog in the room from you being pissed off or, you know, you understand that you need them more than they need you. Because if you could put me, I believe I'm, I'm a decent investigator. I built uh, some strong cases recently, did a murder for hire investigation into a community activist that just was found guilty in federal court. So, I believe I'm a decent investigator, but I'm only as good as my informant, and that's it. If I didn't have my informants, I, w- I-, I wouldn't have anything at all. So it, you really need to understand it's a game, not take things personal. And once you not don't, you know, realize it's a game, then you'd be able to build those relationships with criminals that will be able to assist you and your municipality in, in, in building the investigation. The treatment of CIs, confidential informants, how important is it to develop rapport and treat them with respect? It is, uh, I mean, it's like how I talk to you, even before the podcast, and how I talk to you is how I talk to the guys I try to flip and how I talk to my informants. I mean, I've had guys tell me, to like, I don't know if they just sent you in here because you're a smooth talker. You got, uh, you know, I got a smile on your face. I'm beginning to believe you. I'm like, no, dude, like, like I'm not going to fuck you over. You know, if I fuck you over, you, you're no use to me, right? So it's, it's really important to build that rapport. And also it's trust also. Like I tell guys all the time, like if I ask you a question and you lie, 
I mean, our relationship is done. But if you don't, if you're not comfortable answering it, you just, hey, listen, fathead, I'm not going to answer that question right now. I'm not going to answer that question because the thing is, once they lie, you, you can't you can't use them ever again. Mm-hmm. You know, cause if they lie to mislead you, I mean, you how are you going to fill out an affidavit or a house or you know application for a search warrant knowing that that informant's lied to you? Mm-hmm. You know, when you're going to blow this dude's door off, go in. But you know, but hey, that guy lied to me. You know, so building the rapport is huge, and part of building that rapport is the way that you pitch them before they become an informant. So my my big thing, and I talk about it in the classes, is getting your targets to become informant, and and there's ways to do it. Also, like if you really wanted to get you know your target to be an informant, you can't blow his door off at six o'clock in the morning and let every single person see. You know, it's not. Even if he wanted to cooperate, he's, he can't. Like, dude, the Fed, the Fed, the federal, you know, just came in here and blew your door off. And now you want to buy 62 grams of Coke off me? Get the fuck out of here, dude. You probably recorded. Get the fuck out of here. So um, building the, that, in, that relationship and part of that rapport is how you pitched him in the beginning. Especially when you, I mean, in narcotics work, especially, it's different than, you know, guys on the corners carrying guns. But they're involved in a much bigger thing that I'll, I'll address later. But guys up top, it's a business. And that's it. It's a business. It's, it's, some people might be pissed off. Oh, well, it's illegal. It, it is illegal, but it is, it is a business. It's a very difficult business to run because you're not just running Wawa, right? You're not just Wawa. Imagine if Wawa had guns and 7-Eleven had guns and they start shooting at each other over, over you know, fucking hoagies and shit, right? So it's, it's more than just business. It's protecting the territory. So you have to, you're not just dealing with, you have to deal with individuals differently that are high up on the drug game. I have two really good informants right now that are absolutely amazing. Both of them are high up. We're, we're high up in, in, in the drug game. Like very high up. I remember I did a very brief run in narcotics and you know, I'm a personable guy. I, probably one of the greatest gifts I've ever received from the good Lord is my ability to converse with just about anybody. My best, one yeah. of my best friend, Frank, he goes, I've never met somebody in my life who can talk to everybody. He's like, it's just, it's yep. wild. You go from one to another and have a rapport with everybody. I've never seen you not get along with somebody. We've, I've seen you for 20 years. I'm watching you talk like this to people. Uh, I recall one time I worked with a guy who just rubbed people the wrong way nonstop. I just didn't have the IPC every, skills. Yep, to, every police department has. Yeah. I mean, he just, and he was a narcotics detective. And I remember one of his CIs being like, yo, man, can I fucking work with you, dude? The kid had to work off his charges, right? He had to. Yeah. And he had to deal with this motherfucker, but he's like, bro, can I, can I just work with you? I'm, I fucking hate this guy. I'm like, and I remember telling him, like, everybody hates that guy. Yeah. Like, yeah. Nobody wants to work with him. Every CI he has wants to work with somebody else and like is asking, but it doesn't work that way, dude. But what I can do is kind of be here for you a little bit. Um, you know, take my cell phone number. I have to discuss it with him. And I don't know what to tell you. You're between a rock and a hard place. You're going to have to work. Yeah. With that being said, you know, how many people get figured out? How many CIs get burnt? And how many times do you see them not be able to go back to where they're from? So it all depends on how, how you as an investigator use them. So for example, if you, let's say if you're going to use, if you're going to do audio recording or in audio and or video. So if you decide to do recording, when that individual is arrested, that, that recording is a, is a statement of the defendant. Okay, even though it's not an actual interview, it's a statement of the defendant. 
which has been one of the first things to get turned over in, in discovery. So almost right away, you know, a week or two weeks after that person gets locked up, they're in a, that defense attorney is going to get those recorded. So at that point, it's going to be impossible to protect them. But if you are not recording them, there are different ways to, to protect them. For, for example, when you talk to your informant, it's like, hey, what does this guy usually sell? What does this guy usually, oh, he usually sells, you know, he's a somewhat decent, de- bigger dealer. He sells a 6-2 of Coke. That's his usual go-by, two, two and a quarter ounces of Coke. I'm like, all right, then we're buying a 62. Don't buy something. That's one thing you want to do with investigators. Mm-hmm. Don't buy something. Be like, my department has $1,000. Let's buy exactly $1,000. Because then the guy's going to read it and be like, $1,000. Oh, I know why I sold that shit, too. Because this guy called me and said, I have $1,000. Or guns. Like, guns, dead giveaway. You're going to know who you sold a gun to. But are you going to know who you sold Coke to? Especially if it's if we buy the amount that you usually sell. So it's going to be big for you to talk to your informant and be like, hey, what does he usually sell? And depending on what your municipality wants to do on search warrants um, or how you, how you write them is, are you saying the day it happened? Or it's going to have to come out in court, but are you going to be more vague? I mean, I've been on search warrants. I've, I've done search warrants uh, before. I put in the affidavit that I ended up uh, I met with a, on, on this date and time, TFO, John Kruer and blah, blah, blah. I met with confidential human source and an undisclosed location. Uh, confidential foreman ended up placing a phone call number to blah, blah, blah. Uh, and after a narcotic-related conversation, that was placed on a speakerphone. Uh, United States currency was turned over to the informant. The informant was followed over to, the, to blah, 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 123 Main Street. Observed uh, the target come out of the residence hand, uh, what appeared to be a hand-to-hand narcotic transaction. The informers followed back, never lost eyes on the informant, followed back to May, where the informant handed over a controlled substance. There's times in search warrants, I've done that, where it doesn't even say the drug I bought. So, and which is great also when you try to, when you try to flip people, right? Because if somebody flips, what are, they not, what are they not doing? They're not going to court. They're not going to seal the discovery against them. So even if they see the search warrant, and see it's a controlled substance. It's not even seeing the weight. It's not seeing what they bought. And another, another thing I talk about in the class also that's bigger in, in the feds than locally, and I, I don't see many local guys do it, is seal a search warrant. That you could actually seal the warrant itself where it's not, it's not public at all. So therefore, you can, you can somewhat hide your investigation, but a lot of times in a search warrant, you're going to put down like the UCR code or, or what's being investigated. So the suspect may know whether it be a homicide, narcotics, gun trafficking, or, or you know, guns, gun violations, know what you're investing, but you can actually h- hide how you got into the residence itself. You know, earlier you talked about being vague, staying to the norm, don't do anything that kind of gets people curious about why would this person do something so different than they typically do. I was asked when I was in, I like patrol division. This is not, I just, I enjoyed Pushing a black and white. That was my shit. Yeah. I, I, I just, love it. Yeah. I did, dude, I, I did. And I advocate to people like, look, I get that you want to go to specialized divisions and all that stuff, but like, there's just something a lot of fun about. And yeah, you got to deal with the BS at times, right? That's frustrating for people, but I didn't mind it because I enjoyed the pros of it as well. But typically I got called when narcotics was doing a job and they needed a marked unit, right? That's just, if yeah. I was working, I was the guy. Yep. 
takedown team. Yep. Just, just. I mean, me. If they needed a marked, anybody needed a marked car, or they needed somebody extra to do something at a patrol. I typically, it's funny because I would miss muster a lot because they'd be waiting for me to come into work. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, you know, I, I they'd be like, yeah, come on, we we need you. We're like, we're pulling you out of muster. And, and dude, like, these guys weren't my seniors. Some of them were. Some of them weren't. Some of them were my juniors. Just that this is where I was. And an interesting story about why I stayed in patrol. Essentially, because I just liked patrol. I liked the schedule. I liked. I felt like I was a master patrol officer. I felt like I had a lot to contribute to other people. I liked having other people's backs. Yeah. And I liked the specialized divisions having or being comfortable knowing that I was available, right? Like if you needed somebody, I was coming and I'm going to mm-hmm. be out there for you. But we stopped a the dude. They had an anticipatory search warrant. You guys ripped those uh, where you're from? Anticipatory? anticipatory? Yeah, it's, uh, the postal inspectors are the biggest ones that do it. Okay, so they do them a lot here. Yeah. So we'll order up. And there's a reason why it's done a lot here because an anticipatory search warrant for those who are listening is one, the search warrant based on probable cause and for many various reasons, PC can develop, to be developed of events that are going to happen in the mm-hmm. future. So tomorrow, this car is going to come down uh, 95 southbound between the hours of 3 and 5 o'clock. That's what the intel gives us. That's what we know to happen. When that happens, if that happens, now this search warrant comes into effect because you believe there's illegal guns in the trunk of the car, something like that, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it's events that are going to happen, anticipatory. So you're anticipating these things are going to happen. When they do, you have a warrant for it. You don't have to stop and go get a warrant. You already have one for the future. So they have one of these anticipatory search warrants. We stopped the guy, and there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. He gets pulled out of the car and immediately starts getting searched. He gets handed a search warrant. He gets searched. The car gets searched. They start pulling bricks out of his oh, fucking- awesome. Right? The problem is, I'll never forget him saying, he's like, man, motherfucker's got a search warrant already, right? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, fuck. He's like, fuck, that bitch don't buy. And I, I knew who the CI was. I didn't know her personally. I just yeah, saw her. He's like, man, I should have fucking known that fucking bitch don't buy fucking five bricks the fuck out of her junky ass <laughs> fucking bitch. <laughs> right? And I was like, he, he knew it was her. Now, she didn't care. She was, she was a user. He yeah. was a dealer from four towns down. Yeah. So he ordered up. He got greedy. She ordered up a lot. He got greedy. Saw a big payday. I mean, she ordered like five bricks, dude. Right? So you're talking about not five buns, like five bricks. Get the fuck so, out. Yeah. So he's, he's showing up like five fucking bricks of heroin for this girl who's a user. It makes no sense. Mm-hmm. But he got greedy. Yeah. And, and he let any, any, I just, he kept saying it over and over. Fuck that fucking bitch. I knew she, because she ordered up something abnormal. He should have known better. Yeah. 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 So interesting shit there, dude. Funny thing about that brick terminology. I had, uh, well, yeah, so just so we're clear, we're talking East Coast, Northeast, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, New York lingo, typically a brick in the rest of the country, and it's probably going to spoil your story a little bit, is a kilo. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. But you can tell the so story. So where, where I'm from, like where, where I'm a cop, everyone considers a brick a kilo. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 So. Is that a Jersey thing then only? It, P- Pittsburgh does it also. Like Western PA calls it brick. Okay. So um, uh, I believe out in Western PA, brick. New York's got to call it bricks too, I'm sure. What's a brick in New York and Jersey? Uh, 50 bags of heroin. Okay, all right. So, yeah, so it's five bundles. So it's yeah, five bundles. So, yeah, ten, so 10 bags Western of PA. bond. So, I had these. You guys package the same way, don't you? Yeah. Uh, well, it's like. The wax it, folds? It's, yeah, it's uh, 12, I mean, excuse me, 14 and 16 in, in a bundle. Okay. And 14, 16, and then it depends if people work in the corners, especially if they have users working in the corners to rip one off the top. So then if it's 16, they're actually selling 15 because they get, they get one bag for every bundle they sell. Um, yeah, so I had these troopers in Jersey hit me up. I assisted them on surveillance 
and it was just like a miscommunication. And they're like, yeah, this guy's coming down. He's going to pick up 25 bricks. I'm like, dude's picking up 25 bricks? I'm like, what the fuck is he driving? He's driving a Honda Accord. I'm like, the dude's putting 25 bricks in a Honda Accord. They're like, yeah, it's fucking crazy. So I'm pulled out. I'm like, this dude's going to pick up 25 keys of, keys of fucking 57 fatty. pounds, right? 52 yeah, yeah. pounds. I'm like, of- I'm like, holy, like, where's this dude going to hide this shit, right? So they end up coming into a uh, city. They come into the city. And I, the meet's happening. I end up meeting with one of the troopers on the side. And we're pulled up next. We're talking to each other. I'm like, this dude's getting 25 bricks. Are you fucking kidding me? And the guy's like, wait a second. Wait, what's a brick to you? I'm like, a brick to me is a fucking kilo. I'm like, no, 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 no. Wait, wait, wait. He, this, is not 20, this is not 25 kilos. So I'm like, oh, man. I'm thinking, I'm like, dude, me and one other dude out here. I, I don't know if I should get like other people to come. You know? I'm like, we need security. We stop these guys. Yeah, dude, no shit, right? Be million dollars, millions of dollars of Betty right, right on the on stop. Hey guys, check out our upcoming training at streetcop.com. Don't forget, we have 50 instructors nationally teaching a variety of topics. These are the best classes you're going to experience in your career. We make sure of it. You're going to love it. I guarantee you, you're going to be thankful that you went. Check us out at streetcop.com for all upcoming classes in your area. I mean, you know what's interesting? As you're talking, there are thousands of cops in this country who, you know, think that it's so interesting man i you know i i, I want to explain something to everybody i certainly applaud anybody who goes out and tries to do something other than write a ticket right it just i i applaud you but i try to give perspective of my training class and it's hard to do of why aren't you getting more why do you think every time you get three to eight bags of heroin or three to eight grams of uh, methamphetamine or uh you know a guy with a small warrant you're all high five and clapping around but think about the amount of narcotics that must come into a major metropolitan city or even your area to supply or to fulfill the supply requests and chain of major narcotics. It's no different than the mindset of life. When I talk about money, for example, talk about a job. Mm-hmm. Most people who came from nothing and went to something had a dynamic shift in their life where they recognized they had more potential to make a lot more money, but nobody ever told them that. Mm-hmm. It's, people think about that's very interesting. So people never knew or never understood the game of money mm-hmm. until they got educated in the game of money and learned it much like they learned the game of not having money. Exactly. We're all taught the game of not having money, but not many people are taught the game of having money. So it's similar in the sense that what people aren't realizing is it's no more difficult in some sense to find larger amounts of narcotics than it is to find smaller amount of narcotics. It's just that we're so ingrained and we have such a filter to see this stuff because it's so obvious. But if you just understood the game of large-scale narcotics, it would probably be easy. So with that being said, that lead-in, from a guy who's on a task force, Maybe give some context of how much narcotics, let's talk for just for this area, the northeast part of this country. How much narcotics is actually going around to give people some ideas? I mean, it's everywhere. Kilos are, are, are everywhere. Now, it's, it's hard to find. I kind of like, like, like Red Ninja talks about it, all right? He's talking about like the guys moving in kilos and not, you know, not wasting your time on the cars that you would stop. It's the cars you wouldn't stop that's moving stuff, right? It's talking about like the inside of it. Like, you know, you're, you're working the inside, like, 
give some context to some of the jobs that you're working. And I'm sure you see these cars coming down the roadway, right? They got to be delivered. Like, it must cross your mind. Like, man, if a guy in patrol could just see this, right? If a guy somewhere. Yeah. Prime example, right? So we did this investigation. My squad did an investigation. And uh, we got Sky coming, who was a truck driver. And this was, this was crazy. This is when I realized, I'm like, man, like, this shit's everywhere, right? So guy's coming, he's, deli- he's got like, like 10 kilos of coke on him. And uh, he goes to, to, to his apartment complex. Two guys, was an agent and a task force officer, ended up doing this great job on, on this, this big crew in the city. So uh, I'm assisting with them on, on their surveillance. And truck driver comes, gets in his car, gets his car, and he's getting the duffel bags. Well, it's a suitcase. Suitcase out of the car. And just, I, when he took him down, it was 10 keys of, of Coke and six pounds of meth. Six or eight pounds of meth in it. So the guy, we believe he's doing the same thing every, every time. So he gets out, and these two cops park right next to him. They get out, and they actually start, like, bullshit talking to him. And I'm thinking, like, these uniform guys have absolutely no idea that over a million dollars, a million dollars worth of fucking narcotics is in the suitcase right there. It would be the biggest hit of their career. I mean, that shit would make the news of uniform stop, stop one guy and had 10 keys of coke. Um, They're given no skills though, right? Like, well, how, what are they supposed to know? Yeah, exactly. So, but it, it literally is everywhere and it's hard to see it if you don't, if you do not know what you're looking for and it's hard to discover it if you don't understand how you would discover it. Kind of, kind of talk about like you just said, like the small amount of narcotics, right? And I talk about it in my class is basically think about a ladder, right? So when you have a ladder, you're gonna start at the bottom. I call in my class, I call street dealers pawn. They're nothing. A pawn in a chess game is nothing. Okay. So once you start understanding that, you know, a lot of guys just lock them up and that's it. You understand that they're a pawn. You use a pawn. Just like the, the main guys running the corners are using those pawns, those street dealers to get money. We use them, but we use them to bring them to the, bring us to the king. So you use them and it's, it's patience, right? So you want to see, boom, these guys are selling their ass off, but you shouldn't really care about the, the dealer, the user's sale. You want to see who comes to the block. Who's, if you think about this, right? We're cops. We go to a crime scene and captain shows up. If we're in plain clothes and people like, are watching us, you're going to be able to tell how you and I act that that guy is above us, mm-hmm. right? So that's the same thing in, in, in narcotics. Whether it's someone coming to pick up money, whether it's someone coming to drop a bag off, or whether it's someone coming and just that respect, everyone comes over and shakes their hand, you know that that person's a part of something. So I talk about in the class is not taking down the investigation too soon because one thing I talk about is leaving dealers out in their natural habitat. Let them incriminate themselves, but just know what you need to look for to discover those, those big, those big time dealers. So if someone comes up and, and, and reads up the block, that person is most likely not the actual supplier, but follow that person back. So boom, you discovered the, re- the God is delivering the re-up. So watching him, so we're still watching him, start seeing who he meets up with and just, just move, move up the, move up the chain from there. But the thing is, is once you take that investigation down, let's say you got up to the re-up guy and you take it down. You're never going to get in that investigation and in that, that DTO, that organized crime, that criminal conspiracy that's going on. You're never going to get higher than that because now that group knows they were being watched. Um, you know, 
So you can't discover those, those, big, those big time individuals. Let me put it this way. So my big two informants that I have now are helo level guys. And I'll put it this way. If you have a fish, right? Let's say fish could talk. You're talking to fish. They're going to give up other fish. You grab a shark, they're going to give up other shark. So as I'm talking to this, these two guys, uh, two, they don't know each other, two completely different cases. And it's talking, you know, they're kilo guys. They give up other kilo guys. And they gave up guys that, I'm like, I, I knew that dude, right? I, I, I know of that guy. That guy owns a store on the fucking avenue. And that, that dude moves fucking bricks. Like, that dude moves bricks. And bricks, I'm talking about kilos, right? This, this, this shit's everywhere. You just have to know it is much different than your typical dude on the corner selling drugs. These guys are businessmen. They're, they're much bigger than that. So you just need to know how to, how to discover them and then what you're looking for. Because once you get to that, that part of the drug game, everything changes. Because you're not, everything's a business. Murder is a business. You know, murder is a business when it comes to drugs. I'm not talking about the guys on the corner. I'm talking about guys up top. Organized crime, almost like the mob. Murder is a part of the game, and that's it. So, yeah, kilos, man, are everywhere. Absolutely everywhere. But a lot of cops do not know how to discover because we keep thinking about the dudes on the corner. The guy that's got the kilos, man, you're not going to see him on the corner. He's not, he's smarter than that, right? He, maybe when he was younger, he learned, but he's not out there on the corner at all. And there's other ways, I'm, I'm not going to, just yeah, yeah. one way, there's one or, there's actually two ways that in my class, I talk about how to discover big time dealers from something that is like, once, once I said it, people are like, oh man, in the class, people are like, that's, that's fucking genius, right? Um, I'm not, of course, I'm not going to say in the podcast, I don't want people, I don't want, you know, God forbid, dealers listening, like, I'm going to fucking change my game up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, but the shit's out there, it's just for us to, to, to discover them. And that's also just understanding, like, like you understanding your legal authority um, is really knowing when you get PC on pawns on people that we're going to use also because we don't give a shit about the dealers on the corner, right? They're dime a dozen. Um, use PC on them. You just do more than a rest, right? Track their phone, see who they're communicating with. Then boom, they keep going, keep going off the chain. You know, I tell people a really good resource for any new police officer Essentially, and you can, if you have Disney Plus, I don't work for Bob Iger or Disney at all, but in the fourth category, the top of the Disney Plus options is National Geographic. If you click on the National Geographic app, you'll in there, you'll find all these documentaries behind the scenes, uh, like Behind Enemy Lines with Mariana Van Zeller, mm-hmm. Drugs Inc., Narcotics Inc. There are so many documentaries where they go behind the scenes of these all sorts of crime organizations, and they literally tell you how it's being done. Mm-hmm. What they do, how do they make it. We just had a guy before, he's doing a class out in Nevada. It's like a, it's like a ride on steroids, it's a really good class. And he's like, yeah, he's like, uh, he was trying to explain Shatter to me. I'm like, bro, I just saw Shatter on a National Ge- Geographic episode. I know how it's made. They did like 20 minute segment on how to make Shatter, yeah. how the guy makes it. I'm like, so go find that and put it in your class. You don't gotta explain it. He's like, oh really? I'm like, yeah, yeah. So you didn't know what Shatter was, and 99% of people sitting here, cops, who asked 100 cops what Shatter is? Mm-hmm. And you're going to have one that may know, maybe three yeah. tops. Mm-hmm. So why don't you know that? It's because instead of watching the stuff that's going to help you progress your career, you know, you're watching things on Netflix like Stranger Things and, mm-hmm. and stupid shit. I mean, dude, HBO Max is now Max. 
over the weekend, I was watching mafia crime stories about like uh, Nikki Scarfo and all yeah, these. Yeah. yeah, you know, yeah, you might be familiar with that a little bit. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, dude, but it was interesting in the sense to find out how these places operated, what people felt like within the organization. All these things you could use to your advantage. But one thing you take from it is when you watch, oh, you know who's on it? Uh, Vaccaro's been on How to Catch a Smuggler. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. So when you watch How to Catch a Smuggler and they intercept a kilo or four kilos in the airport and they're going to do controlled delivery, maybe even at the port, look at where they're going and who they're meeting to do this controlled delivery. It's not three gangbangers on the corner holding up blocks with extended magazines and throwing gang signs. Bro, just watch the show. You want to know who it is? I, I, dads with three kids in the car and a minivan and a suit, right? Dudes driving brand new, beautiful Ford F one fifty Super Dewey's. Uh, I'm sorry, Super Cruise. My bad. Um, or F two fifties. Like, dude, it's not what you landscapers showing up, contractors showing up. Yep. These are regular looking dudes. Y- years ago, when I first came into task force, <clears throat> I ended up assisting uh, another state, a complete another major city. In our city with an investigation, just back in like 2016, maybe, locked up a doctor, an actual medical doctor that was moving kilo. Yeah. A legit medical doctor. I was just dumbfounded. I'm like, how, what are you doing? You got to be making 250, 300,000 a year for, for the type of doctor he was. Okay. Uh, like, what are you doing moving that shit? Right? Greed, brother. It's greed. It's money. You know? Can't, can't, you just, they just want it so bad. And if you can't figure out how to get it, because you've reached the limits of what your potential is, essentially, I guess, in his mind. Mm-hmm. Try to go the quick route. Yeah. Dude, it's dangerous. I just watched a, um, if nobody's watched this on Max or HBO, On Demand, uh, Richard Kuklinski was the Iceman. So there's, mm-hmm. I didn't realize there was a third documentary on it. And, you know, I guess when he, in the early 80s or late 70s, something called Tamament was a very sought-after drug or a medical drug for some sense. So this doc, this is how dangerous the game is. So this doctor orders up from Kuklinski, who's, who's a mafia guy, $25,000 worth of Tamament, he's going to flip it. He got greedy. Mm-hmm. Kuklinski kills him. Shows up 25000 in a bag. This is like, you know, late 70s, early 80s. Puts a fucking gun under his chin and blows his brains out. Actually, he said he didn't die, then he beat him with a fucking, with a tire iron until he went unconscious. But think about what that greed costs you when you start getting into the game of illegal shit. Mm-hmm. It's a dangerous game. It's not just you get to sign up, join up, make what you make, and then walk away. You know, once you're in it, it's, yeah. not a, it's not a good place to be. But I guess my lead into this is, and again, my suggestion for people listening to this podcast, go check out those. I mean, you probably go on YouTube and just watch clips from it of how things work, especially as a new cop. But I imagine every day you're probably getting surprised with something new. How often are you surprised with seeing shit you never thought you were going to see before? You just talked about one of the doctor's things, but like, what else? Like, is it like every single day you're like, Jesus Christ? The, yeah, it's, I mean, thing that's a big thing that surprised me also was the town being, leaving the city, even surveillance on these guys. These guys, big time dealers, are living in towns that there was absolutely no crime. There's money, there's kilos, there's drugs, there's guns in towns that are absolutely beautiful, that have no crime, that I'm sure cops are, are listening to podcasts are in towns just like, and you never even suspect. Like, you know, 
living next to your neighbor, you have no idea is a fuck is the devil, right? So I would say, recently, I mean, there's some towns. I'm not going to say towns because those guys are not in custody right now. Um, I was pretty surprised to living there. Uh, I mean, these talk to the cops, more time cops, have no idea that that's going on in their backyard. Um, but honestly, man, being in, in a city for 15 years and being involved in a fatal shooting and I can't even count how many people I've seen die in front of me and just shootings. And at this time, man, not, not much surprise to me, honestly, you know, um, I, I always look at everything as, as learning. I'm, I, I don't take it as being surprised. I'm like, oh, I'm going to learn this. You know, it's, it's, it's always adapting and, and overcoming, uh, in, in, in our field. But, uh, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I wasn't surprised. I always knew those community activists I locked up in 2021. Uh, I always knew to do was dirty. You know, people, he was a good hired hitman, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I did a drug investigation on, on these guys were killing each other in the part of the city, and it was over like, I mean, I the investigation I did on them was crack and marijuana, and I I, I didn't even, be honest. I don't really care about marijuana as, as obviously it's legal in Jersey now and it's decriminalized many places, but still. Places a lot, of, it's decriminalized or as a ticket. It's still illegal to sell. It's a felony to sell. So I did an investigation on these guys and uh, did an investigation. And part of that gang, uh, I was buying Fetty, right? I was buying, buying Fetty, uh, basically pure, pure Fetty. And the phone calls we're making with the informant, uh, we're making them to this community activist that he wasn't, he wasn't in home, he wasn't in, in, the, in the city at that time. So I did it real quick. I mean, the, the, that area of patrol needed help. I mean, they were killing each other. There's two gangs. I, the one that was more violent, the one I targeted, I had an informant into them. Rip everybody in like four days. And I'm hitting, uh, I hit like, man, maybe four or five houses. One, two, four houses. Hit four houses, hit a car. Um, and I'm getting uh, nine guns, ton of drugs, ton of money. And then, uh, Boom, right? So, take them down on a Friday, which many people were not happy about. In July, on a Friday at 5 p.m., I decided to call all of the uh, federal task forces and narcotics to come help me on a fucking 90-degree, beautiful Friday. <laughs> no so, air conditioning these houses, oh, yeah, dude. No, n- n- people were not. People I'm going to the fucking shore. I was like, oh, you know, well. No, you're not. <laughs> not anymore. You know, yeah. tomorrow morning you are. Uh, so, I hit them then. Boom. Sunday, right? Like, <clears throat> I try to, you know, big thing I suggest also people's like leaving, leaving stuff at home, right? Like my wife's my best friend, right? So, uh, like Saturday and Sunday, I try not, try not to work, you know, especially recently we just had a daughter. Um, like, dude, he keeps blowing my phone up. So I get up, I'm like, I'm like, oh, what's up, dude? And he's like, yo, this guy, when he active, just send me a picture of somebody. And I was like, send you a picture of somebody? Yeah. I'm like, well, call him, dude. I don't know. Call him, see what he wants. He calls him back and he's like, he wants me to kill this guy for this much money. Told him I'm not a killer. I'm like, no, 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 no. Listen, listen, who the fuck are you right now? We're gonna, you're going to call this dude back and tell him you are a killer. You're going to take that fucking contract, right? There's so many people were surprised outside of like people I work with because I knew that dude was full of shit. I knew that dude was not a true community activist. I knew he was a leader of a gang. Um, so many people were surprised. I mean, I, there's, he had pictures of high ranking police officials he met with and Wow. People in like the municipal wow. government and like city council. Wow. And, you know, yep, yep. And here he is fucking, you know, talking about, oh, let's not, let's not, let's not do, um, you know, let's just not do gun violence, but he's the one hiring people to go, to go murder people. 
yeah so that that, that was pretty and then that i mean that was fun the paper right yeah that was a press conference oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was on that was so that, did he plea out yet no he took it to trial he lose yeah fuck yeah he lost well how much yeah. time did he get he, he's gonna get sentenced in september so he what's uh, he looking at at least 20 plus 20 plus years yeah um was the community pissed off they they were uh, a lot of them thought it was uh like a setup yeah conspiracy to get him get rid of him yeah yeah exactly exactly but i'm like like god come to trial everything's audio and video yeah, recorded yeah, yeah everything's recorded did a lot of that stuff leak out like all those oh everything yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. But now, now they're like oh yeah this motherfucker was there. by the time the this people came in the beginning of his trial by the time the end of the trial almost nobody was there Almost oh, because they were sick of him. Yeah, almost nobody. They turned it back on him. Yeah, almost nobody was there. Uh, <laughs> oh my god, and then so good. The thing I and did, I talk about it also in my classes. I like really like thinking outside the box, right? And because I talk about it in class, I'm like, right, we have to follow the law. You have to follow your your directives, your policies, procedures, whatever. But then, like, you write the playbook, right? So, what I did with that case, I was working really closely with this uh, United States attorney that I'm. I'm really 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 good friends with he's from manhattan originally and uh so when this version happens i'll call him up i'm like hey i never did a murder fire before but uh this is what i got are you into he's like let's fucking do it dude let's fucking do it so we're going back and forth about like everything we need for court and at one point we get to the point after three or four phone calls recorded and a meeting in person recorded that was fantastic um, How much was he paying for the hit by? Only, only five. <clears throat> man, that's cheap. Bro. Only five, man. Five racks. Five, five yeah, bands, dude. bro. Oh, that's Fuck. crazy. So, I'll give you seven not to kill me. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So, at that point, uh, came to a point with the conversation between the United States Attorney and I that, all right, it's good. Take him, take him down. And I was like, I don't think I'm done yet. And I was like, What do you think if I do this? And uh, he loved it. I was like. What do you th- I, I, I'll say it now because I no, I no longer have that vehicle. At the time, I was, I, my personal car was an Audi S5. Real nice, beautiful car, right? A tin of windows, all blacked out. So I was like, what do you think if I created a homicide, fake homicide scene in that area and get the informant? Because we, we were just going to go lock him up. That's what, that's what the plan was. I said, like, how about if I get the informant to call, recorded, and tell him the job's done? And it's, it's at this place. And I created a whole fake. I, I met with the captain of the area patrol at the time. And uh, I was like, hey, I need your cops. To create a fake homicide scene. And it, it was such a violent part of the city. Did you have to go tell the victim what was going on? Oh, yeah. I was already in communication with him. Okay. He, he wanted nothing to do with it. Oh, he didn't want to like rat him out? Mm-mm. No, 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 no. He's going to get killed by this guy. Yeah, he, didn't give, he didn't give two shits. Wow. Mm-mm. Yeah. He's, um, you know, he's like, I'm not cooperating. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. He just hates the cops. Uh, he, he's a, he was a dude who understood it was a business. Okay. The, the, the game he was in was a, it was a business. Okay. Um, so, I, I mean, one of the last conversations I had with him was like, hey, man, like, uh, I'm just calling to let you know, like, if you cannot pick up your phone because the person I want you dead is going to think you're dead. You remember one of the things he said to me? He's like, man, I'm about to see who really fucking loves me. <laughs> oh, shit. Because <laughs> he just like turned Oh, he was up. cool like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, yeah he, was, he was, you know, part of the game uh back in the day big time and uh he was he, he was funny like so a lot of guys are involved in the game I, right I yeah find, they, they, I find, they usually get along with the cops yeah, yeah right? I, I find it, it they understand it's a business we got a job to do they got a job to do. it's not right. personal right um so 
He's like, all right. So boom, I get the CI. Again, do jumping jacks. Get out of breath. But it's done. He's dead, right? So um, boom, and go to fish him out. So we, we end up taking him down. We're really on top of him. I, knew, I, I had an emergency order on his phone. I was tracking his phone live at that time. So I knew where he was. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, we, I had five cop cars, the creative fake homicide scene. My, my car is there. I drove my car up on the grass, put a sheet over the driver's door. Cause of course there's nobody inside of it. <laughs> right. So it made, it made fucking citizens app. It made citizens app. Oh, it's amazing. Homicide at this That's location. That's amazing, dude. You know? And, um. <laughs> I love it. So the crazy thing is, is that, uh, so we get to do in custody. He had a gun on him. Um, oh, he had a burner on him? Yeah, yeah. He had a ghost gun on him. He had a Palmer. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah, shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, and, uh, which is good. I, I use uniform as a takedown. These two guys I, that I use a lot uh, in, in that area. Funny, because the same guys you use every time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. You trust them, right? Yeah, exactly. Yep, yep. I know that they're not going to tell people like, oh, you know. If on top of that, you know, they're probably, probably pretty capable dudes. Yeah, Street exactly. dudes, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, I think the funniest part of that was, uh, we have him custody, the job's done. Call the U.S. Attorney's office, tell him what's up, tell him that his job's done. Call the victim, tell him, you know, I got this guy in custody. Now I can tell you who he is. You know, because I didn't want to say who he was in case the guy's like, oh, I'm, I want to handle this shit myself, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so make the phone calls, you know, say the job's done, everyone's safe. And uh, so I have to go get, get my car back. People think it's a homicide scene. <laughs> so, so just literally cops stood there, people was there, like, you know, like crying and shit. You know, oh my which, god! So dude. here I come. I just take the sheet off and I just put it in my trunk and get in the car and drive yeah, away. City work, dude. And people are like, people are like, yo, that dude's driving that dead dude's car. Like, you know, like that. No, no, like, this shit's fake, dude. Um, yeah, but like that's that's like, you know thinking outside. I talk about it in my class, like thinking outside the box and really like what you can do. I mean, you make the job fun, right? Like another thing I talk about, like thinking outside the box. Also, even give give something, you know, a pointer right here. It's like. Even like thinking outside the box of doing stuff that you haven't done or other people have done. Like, for example, I talk about in the class, I had an investigation into this, this guy talking about protecting the informant. I waited a good amount of time um, after I did these buys of all pure fentanyl from, from this guy. Uh, informant, I want to protect him a little bit. I knew he's, his identity will come out in trial um, just based upon the amount I bought. So what I did is uh, bought, bought him out and then I waited. I went past the time for probable cause for the property. I did a trash pull in the house. Did a trash pull in the house and ended up getting uh, uh, what I needed for for search warrant for the house. So I ended up hitting my main suspect wasn't there, but it was a kilo and a gun in, in, inside. Inside, uh, SWAT went to hit the property. Do tries to jump out the window. But one thing that I ended up doing, uh, which even when I like hit up the district attorney's office and I was like, hey, can now, can you approve this warrant? I'm going to go to go to a judge. They're like, "What? Wait, what do you want to do? Like, I've never seen a search warrant like this." And because uh, I knew just building the case, and it, it's another thing I talk about in my class. It's like once you put the handcuffs on, the job's not done, right? The job's not done until the verdict comes out, right? So I'm like, I do not. I wanted to charge him with a kilo, but I don't have him at the house for so much so much time. Since, since the last buy. So what I did is I wrote a uh, search warrant to take the keys from his body and compare it to the door to stash out. So they're like, wait, what do you want? Like, they even see that before, right? Not many people, have, now, I don't know anyone that's ever done that before. Mm-hmm. 
but it's just thinking outside the box and boom, get someone with a body camera, go take the keys, keys matches the door. Like, like I even see you, but you got, I got a key on a gun out of that, out of that property and you got the keys that go in that property. Right. So just the th- thinking out, outside the box is why, you know, that happened, but also like the murder fire, make jobs hard enough as it is. Might as well have some, have some fun out of it, you know? But yeah, that was, that, that, that was a great, that was a great time. Probably, I don't know if I would get another job better than that, that murder fire job. I've had good jobs, but like nothing that's like, like that, you know? Um, and I've actually had people call me up. Um, I, I mean, I've taught in like New York, Cleveland, Detroit, Milwaukee, Jersey. Uh, got an Ocean City, Maryland going to be coming up in October. Got Kentucky coming up next month. Got a few other in, in the pipeline. But I've had people hit me up and they're like, hey, like, I got, I think this is a murder hire situation. Like, what should I do? Um, crazy thing. I, I was even thinking about making like, like, uh, something in street cops, like assist, like local cops. Cause the biggest murder for hired jobs are in the county. They're the suburbs because it's husband and wife trying to kill each other. Mm-hmm. But even though mine was gang related, it's still, you still need the, those pieces to go push, push past, uh, for conviction, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So that was, uh, th- th- that was a great time. Well, you know, typically we go to this podcast for about an hour. We're hitting that mark at this point. Yeah. Is there anything important that you wanted to throw in as a last minute thing? Uh, or for the, for the end, I don't want to call it a last minute thing because we do have a little bit of time. Yeah. But I do want to promote your class yep. where we can find you. And we're going to have you back again, John. So it's oh, not yeah, like, of it's yeah, not yeah. like it's going to be this last, your one opportunity to speak on the podcast. Yeah. Um, on Instagram, you guys give me a follow street cop underscore John. Um, and then Facebook, it's uh, John Crewer, Street Cop, K-R-E-W-E-R. Um, one thing I just want to say about my class is uh, it's truly understanding your legal authority you, and the tools that are available to you. I'm not going to, of course, not going to mention some stuff on a live, on a podcast, but the stuff that we have uh, from federal government that all you need is a phone call and you get it. Um, understanding your legal authority and really how to do the job. Uh, so. My class, I understand, I, I explain that in detail, explain the search warrants that we use the most in narcotics, and then also I give go-bys. At, at the end, I've done jobs that I've done that are past prosecution, guys, guys are guilty, and I send those out. So instead of me in class saying, hey, do a pen trap and trace with cell site, right, so you could start, you could start tracking someone's phone, you can see who they're calling, when they're calling them live. Besides that, I'm going to give you, not just telling you to do it, I'm going to give you to say, hey, this is how I did it. So you get to read it, you know, I mean, it's almost like a cookie cutter, honestly. You can put your information in and take my information out, right? Um, but even outside narcotics, outside detectives, it opens up your mind into a different ideology in reference to policing because every single thing is truly organized crime. guys follow us on all social media platforms to include instagram twitter facebook facebook group we have so much information going out every single day and we don't want you to miss out on any of that stuff so check it out go give us a follow